You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Separation of church and state does not mean that people of faith and goodwill, that they cannot follow Jesus in advocating alongside vulnerable communities, engaging social good and calling for a just distribution of resources and power. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 265 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us in regards to our work today of, of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Healing Our World, and our feature today text is a personal translation of John 3, 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to heal the world through him. This week, I want to begin with a fable that's familiar to many who, who daily do the work of, of healing our world. And to, to the best of my knowledge, this story was originally told by uh, Kurt uh, Cotter, and, and I, can't, I can't find the original source, but he, he, here's the fable. The fable tells of a it's a conversation between a wild dove and a coal mouse. Tell me the weight of a snowflake, a coal, ma- a coal mouse asked a wild dove. Nothing more than nothing was the answer. In that case, I must tell you a marvelous story, the coal mouse said. I sat on the branch of a fir close to its trunk when it began to snow, not heavily, not in a raging blizzard, no, just like in a dream without a wound and without any violence. Since I did not have anything better to do, I counted the snowflakes on the twigs and the needles of my branch. Their number was exactly 3,742,952. When the seven, when the three million seven hundred forty-two nine hundred fifty-third dropped on the branch, nothing more than nothing, as you say, the branch broke off. Having said that, the coal mouse flew away. The dove, since Noah's time and authority on the matter, thought about the story for a while and finally said to herself, perhaps there is only one person's voice lacking for peace to come to the world. In Matthew's gospel, we read these words, Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This passage begins with with Jesus going throughout Galilee and teaching in, in Jewish synagogues. And it's important to, to make a, a couple of things clear here. First, the Gospels were originally written within a Jewish context. They are they're Jewish written works. And, and the Jesus of these stories was never a Christian, nor did he promote a, a new religion. The, the Jesus of these stories, this Jesus, he was a, a Jewish man seeking to make a change and, and challenge injustice within his own Jewish culture. And these stories have been historically used um, for anti-Jewish purposes. But, but I would argue, uh, number one, that we shouldn't freeze Jewish people in our minds as the gospel writers framed them uh, 2,000 years ago. And the, and the gospels, they're not a reflection of Jewish culture today. And, 
And injustice, number two, injustice is injustice in any place, in any culture, and in any time. I believe that we can derive insight from these stories uh, of resistance into how to address injustice in our culture today. Um, and we, we, I don't think we should use these tools, uh, these stories of liberation as tools of oppression towards Jewish people. And, and, and this leads me to my next point. I want to recognize and name also how, how these stories of resistance, they've also been used sometimes, even unintentionally, as tools of oppression against people with disabilities. Certain interpretations of Jesus's healing stories, and that's the title this week is, is, is Healing the World. Certain interpretations of of these healing stories, like like we find in in this week's passage where Jesus heals every disease and sickness among the people, they've been you they've been deeply harmful to people with disabilities. And and through these stories, people with disabilities have been dehumanized. They've been used as symbols or or metaphors that that promote ableism. And I'll put a link to that in our our article this week, so you can follow that more. But uh, so. So I want to begin this week by affirming the full humanity of both Jewish people and people with disabilities. And I, and I want to push back against interpretations of these healing stories that, that supports an idea of, of normal, quote-unquote, uh, uh, that, that, that creates for, for some of our, our siblings the perception of feeling that they're less than. Um, and, and we'll address this further as we continue. But as well as telling us that Jesus healed this passage that we're beginning with, it tells us also that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and what he was teaching was the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. The term gospel or good news, it, it, I've said this before, it wasn't originally a religious term about being saved from some post-mortem torment. Instead, it was a deeply political term. When the Roman Empire conquered a new territory, it would send out what they called evangelists, whose job it was to proclaim to the newly conquered territory, the euangelion, the gospel, or, or the good news, the glad tidings, that the empire had come and that the people of that territory were now part of the Roman Empire. And here are a few uh, examples. Um, this is from Plutarch, and I'm going to give you all these references in this week's e-site. So you can look them up and, and follow them yourself. But the first one is even after the Battle of Mantinea, which Thucydides, maybe, maybe that's how you pronounce that, has described, the one who first announced the victory had no other reward for his glad tidings, and there's that euangelion, that word gospel, than a piece of meat sent by the magistrates from the public mess. Um, this is another one. It says, accordingly, when, and, and again, I hope this is how you pronounce this Aristodemus, Aristodemus um, had come near. He stretched out his hand and cried with a loud voice, Hail, King Antigonus, we have conquered Ptolemy in a sea fight and now hold Cyprus with 12,800 soldiers as prisoners of war. To this, Antigonus replied, Hail to thee also by heaven, but for torturing us in this way, thou shalt undergo punishment for the reward for thy 
uh, good tidings, and again, this word is euangelion. It's the it's the word translated gospel or, or good news. The reward for thy good tidings, thou shalt be sometime in getting. And again, the last one. And why, as we are told, the Spartans merely sent meat from the public commons to the man who brought glad tidings. That's euangelion or gospel. That who brought the the gospel of the victory in Mantinea, which Thucydides uh, describes. And indeed, the compilers of histories are, as it were, reporters of great exploits who are gifted with the faculty of fallacious speech and, and achieve success in their writings through the beauty and force of their narration. And to them, those who first encountered and recorded these events, and what's fascinating is, is the, the word there for events is really euangelion as well. The glad tidings are good news are indebted for a pleasing retelling of them. So the gospel authors, they they took this language from Rome to tell the story of Jesus who came preaching an alternative vision for human society. This is Luke 4.43, but he said, I must proclaim the good news. There's that euangelion, glad tidings, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And think of that as opposed to, to, to Rome, to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the glad tidings, the, the euangelion of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God, not Rome, but of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the euangelion, the, the glad tidings or the gospel. Jesus' good news, it was the proclamation of an alternative vision for human society it stood in contrast to to the Rome the way Rome structured society and it was a, a society where people carried out God's will for for not Rome's will but God's will for a distributive justice of, of mutual aid of, of of caretaking rather than than subjugation and in the following passages that we're about to read we see that the gospel authors they tied this proclamation to the healing narratives of as well this is Matthew 10, 7 through 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. In Luke 10, 9, it says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. In Luke 9, 6, it says, so they sent out, uh, so they set out, sorry, and went from village to village proclaiming the good news. And that's that word glad tidings or you and Galeon and healing people everywhere. These are the parts of the Gospels that have been used in deeply problematic ways for people who live with disabilities. And I believe the Gospels, I believe they were intended to be stories of survival, of resistance, of liberation, but they've been used oppressively towards many. And, and rather than using healing the sick or or raising the dead or cleansing lepers or driving out demons, rather than using those as ableist metaphors for social injustices, which I believe they were in the stories, I want to instead, I want to concretely name some of the actual injustices that that we as, as Jesus followers, that we can address in our culture today. And those are the, the sicknesses of, of racism, sexism, misogyny, ableism, 
racism, uh, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, uh, queerphobia, xenophobia, all of these and more. By, by concretely naming these issues, I think we can better understand that passages like the one that we're featuring in this week's uh, uh, podcast from John's Gospel, John 3.17. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save, uh, or I would say to heal the world through him. The, the Greek word here translated saved, it could just as accurately be translated as healed. And what makes this passage special to me is that it's not referencing individuals being saved, but the world being saved. It's not a privatized or personal healing, which which too often I think proves vulnerable to the, the above that we've discussed types of abusive interpretations. This is a collective, a societal, a, a communal healing. It's a, it's a call to allow your faith to influence how we relate to one another. It's a call to allow your faith to, to move you, to engage public life, not just your own personal private life. And, and there's a very Jewish understanding of faith in this. And our beliefs, according to Jewish tradition, our beliefs call us not only to personal piety, but also to public engagement and the work of healing the world. Jesus practices this kind of, of societal confrontation and healing in his protest in the temple. It was the heart of the, the temple state of his own society. The, the, the Jewish phrase for healing the the world is is tikkun olam, and it's the Jewish idea of one's obligation to engage in in social action. And seeing Jesus in this in, in this Jewish tradition, it leads us to the same conclusions as as Latin liberationist theologian Gustavo Gutierrez, who saw in in, in Jesus's kingdom teachings uh, a commitment to to creating a just society. And th- th- this commitment it means he says it means being on the side of the oppressed and being on the side of the marginalized. And, and exploited classes of people. And, and on page 135, um, he, he references this healing love like we also see in John 3, 16 and 17. And, and he says that to, to, to believe in or to, to preach this universal love, it should lead us to inevitably go against all injustice, all privilege, all oppression. And, and, and the radical changes that we, we need in, in, in our society, they can only take place, I believe, through, through movement building. But, but while we're building and participating in those long-term movements, I think we can also engage in what my friend Ashley Woodard Henderson, she is the, the co-executive director at, at Highland, uh, the Highland Center there in Tennessee, she refers she she talks about what what she refers to as damage mitigation and so how do we how do we work towards a, a radical change through through long-term movement building while also with the other hand uh, doing damage mitigation along the way mitigating the damage that's being done by the present society how do we do this and one way that we can do it is through our votes and because people matter voting matters here in America I think we make a big mistake and how we define politics. For, for too many, politics means parties or, or partisanship or lobbying or law. And, and while politics, I think, can include those things for sure, I, I prefer how my friend Dr. Keisha McKenzie, I've referenced her before. I'll put a link to her, her Twitter page and to her website and to, to this conversation on Facebook. Recently in, a, in a, a, a Facebook conversation that we had, she defined politics this way as a district 
distribution of resources and power among people and groups of people. And she went on to say, therefore, there's no opting out of it. Either we become targets of others' political engagement or we choose, uh, as I've said, to, to help shape how resources are distributed. Jesus taught distributive justice. And as followers of Jesus, we too should care about how power and resources are distributed because their distribution can can concretely help or or hurt people. And our beliefs, our values, it should move us to engage our public life. That's what this is. It's a it's not the healing of just individuals. It's the healing of the world, of our, of our larger society that we we belong to. Our beliefs, our values, they should move us to engage in that work. And as McKinsey also explained, wherever we share space with other people, there are quote unquote where there are norms governing how you interact with them or a budget governing common resources, there's simply no way to be apolitical. There's no such thing as as political neutrality that doesn't help the powerful or hurt the vulnerable. You can't be politically neutral uh, without hurting someone. And and when when we understand this, we can readily see why the the late theologian and activist Dorothy Soleil, uh, a German activist theologian, she, she wrote, every theological statement is a political statement as well. Believing in a, in a universal love, as, as Gutierrez calls it, it leads us to, to, to work towards a universal distributive justice for the objects of that love. And, and being one who, who knows the Lord, according to the Hebrew prophets, that phrase of knowing the Lord, especially in the book of Jeremiah, it's defined as defending the cause of the poor and the needy. Look at this in Jeremiah 22, 13 through 17. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, and he means injustice by that, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels in it with cedar and, and, and decorates it in red, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. And again, that's Jeremiah 22, 13 through 17. Recently, I received an email from Reverend Dr. Catherine Rhodes Henderson. She's president of Auburn Seminary. And in the email, she said, she made a statement. She said, the separation between church and state is different from the separation of faith and public life. And, and I couldn't agree more. The separation of church and state, it's about keeping the state out of matters of religious conscience. And it's about separating also, it's about keeping the church from wielding the power of the state to enforce its own articles of faith. But it doesn't mean, separation of church and state does not mean that people of faith and goodwill that they cannot follow Jesus in advocating alongside vulnerable communities, engaging social good and calling for a just distribution of resources and power. And this is why um, we here at RHM, we believe that healing the world is not simply about voting 
but it does include voting. The late Ron Dellums, it used to remind folks that, that we need both movement building and people in office that can help support those movements. And I've witnessed this firsthand here in West Virginia. We spend countless hours building movements for social change here in the state only to have people in office who obstruct those changes. And the opposite is also true. We, we can elect solid people as public servants, but if there's not a movement for them to act on, they have nothing to advocate for from the will of the people. So those who desire an unjust distribution of resources, they are putting people in office who will act on their wishes. And again, there's just no simple way to opt out of this. We're either participants in the discussion or we're the targets of other people people's agenda. And it's been said that we're either seated at the table or we're on the menu. Given our current social mess, voting, especially for marginalized communities, it's only a part of the process of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for all. Yet it is a part of that process. So this week, I want to encourage you to vote your values this November, remembering that that people matter and that people will concretely be affected by the outcome. And for some of you, early voting is already open. Go go do it. And also encourage others to participate and vote and ensure to ensure that that all our communities are are truly represented. And another world, remember, is possible. As as, as Reverend Dr. Catherine Rhodes Henderson says, our work is to quote unquote trouble the waters and heal the world. I'll also close this week with the words of Anne Frank. This is from the diary of Anne Frank. How lovely to think that no one need wait a moment. We can all start now. Start slowly changing the world. How lovely that everyone, great and small, can make their contribution towards introducing justice straight away. And you can always, always give something, even if it is only kindness. How can you engage this week the the work of healing the injustice in our world? Who knows, as the story we began with this week reminds us, you may be the last snowflake needed. Perhaps there's only one person's voice lacking for peace to come to the world. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to heal the world through him. Heart group application this week this week, how can your heart group be a source of healing in your surrounding community? Number one, take some time and dream up some ways that you can be a positive influence for change in your area. Number dis- number two, discuss what it would take to, to make some of those dreams reality. What concrete steps uh, would you need to take? And then number three, pick one of those dreams that that you be- believe the, the steps to, to make it a reality. Uh, the, the, those steps are positive. Possible and take those steps and make a plan with them. Divide up the tasks that need to be done and then start on them. And before long, that dream will begin to take shape and the, the healing changes in your area, they'll be closer to coming to fruition. Each of us has a sphere of influence. And each of us has something that we can do. And as we combine those things and we, we work together, it's amazing what we can actually accomplish uh, rather than just working alone. Again, 
To believe in a universal love is to work toward a distributive justice for all of the objects of that love. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. And don't forget, this is the the last week for our Shared Table fundraiser here at Renewed Heart Ministries. You can find out all about it at RenewedHeartMinistries.com, and you won't want to miss out on it. I love each one of you dearly, and again, another world is possible. I'll see you next week. Mm